Even though I had been removed from the Adventist church for years now, it was around this time that church members, who had never even known my name or been able to tell me apart from my older brother, suddenly believed that I was a heretic. I received daily Facebook messages, emails, and texts from people I knew because it was my job as a good pastor's child, but who did not know me. They called for repentance, returning to the church. They told me that I was killing my parents, making them age prematurely, that I was a wayward child who needed to seek forgiveness. I don't doubt the sincerity of these people, as this was what they had been taught. Their Christian duty lay not in loving, but in correcting. It was also this time that someone reached out and told me it was time to go public with the abuse. This is Girl Found, a grafting podcast. Nothing immediately changed when I came out to Caroline as non-binary. I allowed myself to express my femininity in small rebellions, and I do mean small. Caroline was partial to facial hair, but I found myself trimming it closer and closer to my face, and as COVID-19 began to spread, I used the need to wear a respirator correctly as the reasoning behind shaving it completely. I added subtle jewelry to my wardrobe. Like I said, it was the little things. I didn't want to be called a man anymore. I wasn't. So pronouns became an area of experimentation, and as my boldness grew, I asked that people use they-them pronouns when referring to me. This was a challenge for everyone involved, and looking back, few people, if anyone, gendered me correctly. The challenge of this is that I felt as if I didn't have a right to be angry or offended. I was a masculine person, at least in appearance, so who was I and where was my right to correct people for assuming something seemingly obvious? I didn't even completely know who I was yet. Why would they? But here's the catch. None of that mattered. Let me confidently tell you, listener, none of that mattered. If someone walks up to you with a beard dragging the ground and says, I am a woman, Call me she. Do it like your life depends on it. Because hers does. If someone walks up to you with double D's and a miniskirt and tells you they're a man, you sure as hell better call them sir. And if someone, anyone, no matter who they are, what they look like, tells you they are neither, or specifies their pronouns or name to you, it is disrespectful, thoughtless, and cruel to call them anything different. It isn't hard. If it feels hard, you're not trying hard enough. It is basic human decency. I tell you this as someone who has misgendered people. I have been wrong before. But a mistake should be corrected quickly without dwelling on it, and shouldn't happen multiple times. If it does, you need to ask yourself why your comfort and habits are more important than that person's life because we are talking about a life-and-death issue. In this backdrop of my own growing confidence, 
a man who I've come to see as my own father, and who had once been Eric's best friend, reached out to me. I think it's time that you and your siblings unite your voices to seek to change the power that your parents hold over innocent people. In the coming weeks, he would unite all four of us for the first time in half a decade and encourage me to use my voice to tell the truth about my abuse for the first time. There is more to this story, so keep listening through this short break. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Unclockable. Unclockable makes feel-good, gender-affirmative products for femmes by femmes. They exist to help you be you and wear what you want. If you haven't seen it for yourself, their tuck kit is euphoric. With Unclockable, your tuck is swim-proof and gym-proof and will never show a panty line, so you can securely express yourself, live your life, and keep your parts private. Whether you're new to tucking or have been doing it for some time, Unclockable is something to try out. Right now, you can get a home try-on kit for just $12.95, and U.S. shipping is included. Listeners of this podcast can get 10% off their first order. Just go to unclockable.com forward slash girl found, or use the code girl found at checkout. Unclockable. Be you. When you're seen, good things happen. Unclockable's tuck kit has been life-changing for me. I wouldn't be able to express myself with the level of confidence, bravery, or just feel damn hot without the tuck kit. It never slips, it's medical-grade adhesive, and once it's on, it's on. I've been able to go to the beach, wear leggings confidently, and all kinds of other affirming euphoric clothing without ever having to worry about slippage, or anything else distasteful that might leave me less than confident. It's worth it. If you tuck, you should be using Unclockable's Tuck Kit. We kind of crossed paths indirectly um, because Brooke and I were, um, we were both taking, uh, was it Landry classes, I think? Yeah. Yeah, um, Landry Academy. Yeah. Yeah, for for music and, and music theory. Tell me a little bit about your experience um, being passionate about music as a teenager. What got you into that? Um, and how was it connected to the Christian church? Um, first of all, I think that's just such that's I remember when he first told me that that's how you like kind of came across my little corner of the, the Internet. Um, 
And I think that's so funny. Landry Academy, it's like a homeschool Christian thing. And um, I even, I ended up going to like an anatomy camp through Landry Academy as well. And so I I took some classes. (laughs) It's just, it's such a funny, tiny little segment of our lives that just now here we are. Um, It's just just ironic. But anyway, so I... um, like you said, uh, a lot of the being uh, raised in Christianity and the Christian religion was also uh, really tied to like my experience of also being like raised in um, as a musician. Um, and that's not because my parents were, but um, it's because it's what I loved and it's the, the passions that I had. Um, although I, I really loved I did love singing, but I really loved musical theater. And there was the season in my life specifically when I was in like high school and then I was gonna go to college for musical theater um, in New York. And then lots of sudden life changes and I ended up going to Belmont University in Nashville to study commercial music, which is voice, um, because my sister and I ended up uh, it's a very long story, but I'm making it short. We ended up doing um, music together through an audition process. They ended up putting us in a band. We ended up becoming a duo from there. That little thing dissolved, but she and I continued doing music together. So, um, so yeah, so it was kind of a, a weird way that I, I've always been a part of music, but I, ne- I didn't really intend to be in the performance, like a artist side necessarily although it was always somewhat part of my life um and so it was in 2010 when I started doing music together with my sister and she and I at the time were just doing positive uh secular music I mean the thing is we were 16 years old and 13 she was she's younger and um all since we were raised heavily in in religion um it was only natural that we ended up going into Christian music. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, So yeah, we were only doing like positive secular music as like covers when we first started. And then um, as we really began writing and um, doing more shows, it felt natural to go into Christian music then. Um, So fast forward basically, and we spent 10 years in the Christian music industry. Um, We ended up touring. we eventually, uh, in 2019, um, we won a Juno Award for Best Christian Album of the Year, which was shocking. And um, I mean, we were thrilled. However, uh, shortly before that, the band had kind of <laughs> dissolved. Um, hmm. My sister, my sister had quit, and um, and that was in 2018, and. Um, because of that, uh, that's also the same year that Adam and I got married. So anyway, that uh, sudden change in our lives and her quitting the band and being married and having all these new bills and new, all of these different things in your, our lives, um, I think deconstruction kind of happened naturally for us. Um, when I say us, I mean my husband and I, but... Um, Yeah, so realizing that I had spent 10 years of my life giving so much 
giving everything, every, 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 everything that I had to this industry um, that I, I, I was, I was left with no community. Once I was done touring and I, I wasn't on the road full time, I, it was a very odd feeling coming back to Nashville as, as an adult then, you know, after tour life and especially after, you know, the band had just kind of disbanded, dismembered. <laughs> um, we, I just realized that there was no solid ground that I had to stand on. Um, and a lot of questions just came up in that. Um, there's also a big part of my relationship with Adam that really made me question a lot of things too. Um, Cause before Adam, I was engaged to someone else and breaking that off. Um, it, it was a very public thing and it was the first public, huge public mi- mistake. And I, and I'm doing air quotes mistake mm-hmm. that I had made. And um, I got really accustomed to looking like a failure <laughs> and that mm-hmm. led me to the oh. freedom of deconstruction. Wow. Yeah, I resonate with that. <laughs> the feeling of looking like a failure. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So you were you were raised were you raised like in a in like a, an evangelical setting or or a different kind of Christianity? Um and and how did that reflect in your um experience in the Christian music industry or complex however you want to look at that yeah so from like in, when I was a baby up until I was about 14 years old um, I was always part of a Methodist church which uh, I I actually have a soft spot for the Methodist church um, because I didn't experience a, a lot of hurt actually from those years um, mm-hmm. there is something that, you know, I kind of grew my parents were very involved in the church, very, very involved. And I was always there, you know, I was there all the time. It was like my second home. And I'm sure there's probably things that weren't right. And there were certainly uh, problems within that church as there are in every church, you know, but um, it wasn't that, that really, that there was issue. Um, It was left that church when I was 14. um, That, when my parents began and around that time, that's when I started doing music stuff. So I was, you know, recording my own things, but also I was, that's when I started getting more focused in musical theater. So just to give you that timeline. Um, And I, so for about uh, two years, my parents were church shopping. And the reason why they left that church, which I can't say a hundred percent certainty because I haven't talked with them about it since then um and maybe I should but uh there was a lot of it it was it was quite progressive I will say the Methodist church we were at and my parents were wanting to hunker down I think um Mm -hmm. and for every from everything I can you know glean now on that experience um I'm I definitely see that that was part of the move um my my parents, specifically my mother, um, was, uh, she's very into like the, 
like the John Piper type mm-hmm. um, of uh, messaging and religion and, you know, within religion and Christianity, even there's so many different denominations, so many different ways of like approaching so many different aspects of, you know, the Bible and faith and life. And anyway, so I think they were on the search for something a little bit more um, aggressive, a little bit more evangelical, a little bit more. Um, my mom would always say if she, if she didn't feel like somebody stepped on her toes in the sermon, then it wasn't good enough for her. You know, mm-hmm. she didn't feel a little pain. It, there was no gain, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So they were a little bit on the search for that. Um, so anyway, uh, they ended up finding an evangelical church in our hometown. Um, and that's really when a lot of things started going wrong, because that was also the time that my sister and I started doing music together. So quickly, again, my parents got really involved in that church. Um, and, um, and so because of that, a lot of our, a lot of our uh, time spent in the Christian music industry was spent in the circles of evangelicalism because of the, I, again, these are quotation marks, connections, um, my my mother who ended up being our booking agent and our manager connections that she would have and so we would we would do shows at evangelical churches and um we would be connected with that and um so anyway that ended up being kind of our circle and if um whoever is listening you know if you're familiar with evangelicalism um purity culture is a is is a major part of the evangelical church. Um, and so is um, upkeeping the patriarchy. <laughs> so <laughs> this was very, um, it was it was basically like giving us an impossible scenario for us to thrive in as two girls in mm-hmm. the Christian music industry, trying to be relevant and cool. And, you know, two young girls wanting to be, you know, part of pop culture, but also were like, singing about bringing revival <laughs> it's a little yeah, like right. it just it's hard it's hard to win there um and of course there's things that happen within our industry that um, and within our time being in the industry rather that was traumatizing um between the people we were around um different experiences that we had um the places we stayed um it it, it was definitely, and we even called it then, it was definitely missions, missions minded. And that was kind of our, um, for a little while, that was kind of our tagline. Um, so we just became as evangelical and as martyred people as we could possibly be trying to bring revival that generation and yeah, it was it was complicated. It's you know very like complex the layers of um, experiences that we had in those ten years, which was very formative um, because not only were we entrenched in being taught all those things, but we were also regurgitating them from a very at that time a, a large platform um, and not fully even comprehending the the damage that one was being done to us but we were even potentially doing to others although we we kept 
we kept evolving and then we eventually got out of it and we all like we eventually deconstructed and I think that's just evident through all of our career we've always been on this same path just um it's just interesting looking back looking at all the little crumbs that led us to where we are but uh yeah like I said it, it's very complex yeah absolutely um the you you make a note of not only the damage that was done to you but the damage that you ask yourself if if you were a part of and I resonate with that really deeply um I think that a large part of my journey um has actually been learning to forgive myself and recognize that the blame lies outside of myself for um for the ways that I was convinced and and bred to do the exact same thing and um, let go of the guilt that I feel for all of the lives that I influence. You know, if I look back and and I see people now and their involvement in the um, in the reformed um, hyper Christian hyper fundamental reality of America now and and go oh I feel like I made them that way or I had a part in in guiding them in that direction letting go of that and re- recognizing that I'm not guilty for that uh, but instead my environment and who I was trained to become you know like a like a reflex almost oh yeah so absolutely it's yeah I feel like it's been really empowering to and, and part of deconstruction to let go of the guilt that I feel for that. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting that um, there are, I, I, I don't know, but I, there's a handful, I, a small handful, but there's a handful of people who have been following along my journey. And, and I say following along, meaning like, you know, on Instagram or whatever. Um, they've been following along since I was in, my old band and you know the, the with my sister and during that time of my life and um there are some there are some girls I, I, I know specifically there are some girls who have followed um sent and from this particular school that we went to and um I, I just you know over the years I don't remember all the faces and recognize all the faces, but there's just, like I said, a handful of girls that I, I recognize are still following and will talk to me from time to time and be like, I remember I was there. Um, and I think it's just, to me that, like I, I've always tried to be very honest um, for my sake, um, but then also I, it's been rewarding um, to have people be like, I have been following this journey you've been on. And it's, you know, some people say it's like inspired them to also do it or be brave enough to do it or whatever. Um, and I think it's, it does, it does kind of put a little healing balm feels like onto, and I've worked through some of that guilt, of course, like I've worked through the guilt of like, oh, what have I done in the past, <laughs> you know, um, mm-hmm. but it also does, it does feel really good to recognize that there are some of them that were in that crowd, you know, hearing the messages that, you know, we were sharing, which by the end of our career, I will say, we pretty much were just telling everybody to live an extraordinary life and that I'm, I'm happy <laughs> 
I'm happy that our messaging ended up going from, you know, revival and modesty and purity culture to, you know, God wants to let you to live a big life full of big dreams. Um, I'm, I'm really thankful that was our, our journey in uh, even our career. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm thankful for that, but even still, you know, there, I'm sure there's so many things said and done, um, that I would not, I would not agree with now. Um, and so it's been interesting having, you know, those people, a few of those show up and be like, that's okay. Like you're human. And that feels really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that when this chapter kind of came to a close and you found yourself back in Nashville, uh, that that's kind of what precipitated uh, deconstruction. And I remember you mentioning specifically uh, purity culture and the patriarchy as things that kind of uh, did damage to you, but also I think precipitated that journey outside of the church. Can you tell me about that process for you? Yeah, yes. I... My beginning of deconstruction, it's funny, like I said, you can kind of follow the breadcrumbs like like so far back, you know, like I, I'm sure you know, you're like, oh, yeah. And then I had that question and nobody could answer it for me. You know, like it's interesting. You, you I could lead it all back to seven years old with questions and not not comfortable with the answers I was given. You know, I could I could trail it back to then. But really um as far as like my exit out of um being in the band I was in and being in the industry I was in I I no longer had that community like I said I I was back in Nashville and I was like wait I don't I don't have I don't have friends like I don't have I don't have a church I I I actually when I first came back to Nashville we went to a couple churches and um, but I was also, I was also changing and asking a lot of questions too. It felt good to, to not be a part of a religious setting consistently. So I was kind of like, felt like, oh, well, I don't have a community right now, so maybe this is good. But then it ended up being like, well, wait, I need people. Um, and the only place that we were ever taught to get that was the church. So. Exactly. And, yeah. and so I, so through that, like, you know, like I said, I, I, I church visited, I guess, church shop for a little bit, um, uh, but ended up leaving because I was quickly going through deconstruction. Um, so to back it up a little bit, uh, when Adam and I first started dating, that was the beginning of, I think that was the true true beginning of my deconstruction um Mm. because like I said I was engaged to someone else and um at one point and I had just sent out over 200 addresses of save the dates um and I called it off and that same week I was getting messages saying oh my gosh I just got your save the date so will you go throw it away um so there was a lot of um, humbling. Uh, there was a humbling experience for sure. Um, but I also, again, it's a long story, but I'll make it short. Basically, pretty miraculously, um, Adam, he was my drummer. And although we had not had any sort of connection beyond 
musicianship, we like overnight fell in love. Um, mm. Like I, I said, it's, it's quite miraculous. I, I'm not, I'm not too, um, I am woo woo, but I'm not, I'm not that woo woo um, in the sense <laughs> of like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not the person who thinks that everything is totally like miraculous, but I do think our story kind of, kind of is. Um, and so anyway, we fell in love and I ended up being the happiest, like on like above cloud nine, just so in love with him. Um, and um, I remember praying to God, um, God of being this happy is wrong. I'm, I'm happy being wrong. Um, and I heard a voice just respond back to me. and It said, who do you think I am? Of course, I want you to be happy. And uh, that was the first experience that that the God at the time that I believe the God of the universe or the God within me or however wanted me to be happy. It also asked the question, who do you think I am? And of course, that that's a great deconstruction question, isn't it? Right. Um, <laughs> so that just that, opens a whole can of worms there. It does. It does. And, you know, I was also going through a doubt it was very quickly after I broke up with my ex that, you know, Adam and I fell in love. So I was also still going through that and the pain of that, but yet I was the happiest I'd ever been. It didn't make sense. It, it, nothing made sense. And I was so happy with it. I was like, I don't care. I don't care if it doesn't make sense. I don't, I don't care what's going on. I don't care if I'm wrong. Like I just, this is it. This is all I will do anything. Feel like this. Um, because I had really grown up with the idea that martyrdom was closest to holiness and that I could bring glory to God if there was somehow a thorn in my side at all times, which is why I wanted to go through with the marriage that I was set up to be in. Um, because I thought, you know, it wasn't a great time, but I, you know, I was like, but I'm used to it. I was used to arguing with him. I was used to getting through it. I was used to just settling and thought, you know, I was always taught marriage is hard. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm set up for success here because this relationship is hard. And, you know, with my ex rather, you know, so whenever I broke that off and fell in love with Adam and it was so easy, I just, everything that I thought, everything that I ever set my feet on, like the ground that I stood on was different. I just didn't, mm-hmm. I immediately just didn't function the same way. I, I sought out happiness. I had never, ever sought out happiness. I, I there was a season. I was taught that um, if you're between two decisions, um, and this is it within religion, if you're between two choices, you choose the harder one because that usually can bring God the most glory. Um, oh wow! So I, that was that was kind of the mindset I had been in, and. Uh, which is, you can imagine this sort of things that y- you can allow yourself, yourself to suffer through if you mm-hmm. believe that to be true. Um, so I, I, I allowed and welcomed a lot of suffering in my life um, before mm-hmm. falling in love with Adam. So anyway, all that to say, uh, so much changed for me in that season. Um, the question, who do you think I am? kept going on in my head and while I was happy. And then, um, and that was in 2016. And then, yeah, like two years later, that's when my sister had quit the band. So a lot had happened, but in those two years, 
um, where I started shifting a lot. Um, I started not really caring what the God that I used to know and believed. I didn't really care what that God thought so much anymore. Um, I just kind of stayed in my lane and stayed being happy and in love. And I just, I just kept chasing love. I, I just kept chasing that and kept living in that. Um, and when my sister quit the band, um, I will say that that did start the hardest time of my life. Um, because I didn't expect it. It was not, it was not expected. Um, and a lot of things happened between the two of us, she and I, during that and it was a the identity of being a ccm artist was gone my financial situation was gone my fake community was gone my sense of uh who i was in my family was gone because a lot of drama happened then between my family and i not just between my sister and i um after that um or because of that, a lot of it was all intertwined. And Adam and I had to find random jobs, things that completely stripped us of our, our any sort of <laughs> identity or, you know, identity is, you can also say is your ego. So um, it really <laughs> broke us down um, quite a bit. Um, we were lonely and we were broke and we had no sense of self or worth. And it was bad. I'm, so when people say like there's there was two starts to my deconstruction and I think and one was when I was so happy and I couldn't even be bothered that started my deconstruction and the lenses that I saw the world and God through but then when I had nothing and I was depressed and anxious and lonely and broke um and you know I there was times that we couldn't afford groceries and we we were struggling um and that broke me down on a whole nother level too um so that was whenever that darker side of uh deconstruction happened um Mm -hmm. that lonely like what have I been doing what is left (laughs) um started happening and of course like there were ups and downs right um that's now oh, here I am in 2022 and I feel so so good I am so thankful for that season um and for anyone listening if you if you've gone through that dark season where you're just lonely and broken and confused there there is an end to that it, it feels like there's never an end truly it feels like there's never an end but there is um it does get better that that those were my beginnings of deconstruction I resonate with that so, so, so deeply. Um, for me, in, instead of the, the musical side of that, um, that same, uh, you mentioned ego, basically, that, that identity um, that I was raised with was Christianity and, and evangelicalism intertwined with uh, healing, uh, whether that was like, um, evangelizing or medical healing. Um, and so I, I think it's interesting that you share some of those same feelings and experiences, because I think that fundamentalism is very good at taking 
what we are passionate about and saying, here, this is all you can ever use this for. Um, and kind of stripping us for, of the, the beauty of that, um, of that passion. Um, and when we lose, when we lose the religious experience, when, when we realize that that is not valid and that, that it is a construction, um, I think that we feel like we lose whatever we're passionate about because the only thing that we've ever seen, the only context we've ever had that in is the context of religion and, and using it for the glory of God. Um, so I, yeah, I resonate with that dark place so, so deeply. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it, and it's just, everybody's story is just so different with, but, but so, so similar, <laughs> you know, we can always find like similarities um, within our deconstruction journeys. Um, and I think one of the first things that I really discovered or I will say realized even about myself when I was going through deconstruction and also post deconstruction is that um, looking back on my lifestyle in when I was in the Christian music industry and I was touring and that was my entire identity. Um, I, I was never really that religious um, in the, in terms of, I wasn't a huge, I did not understand prayer. I never fully grasped it. I did not, hmm. there was just never resonated with me. Um, but I'd pray. I would pray when I asked for forgiveness for fooling around with boyfriends, you know, um, <sighs> that was my relationship to prayer, mm. honestly. And therefore with God, it, and the times that I would read my Bible, like earnestly, like the times that I would want to read my Bible is whenever I was curious about a topic. So I would research it Bible, mm. but it wasn't, it wasn't to be close to God. I think in a way I knew that it was supposed to bring me close to God, but it just made me feel good about myself because I just was learning stuff and regurgitate it to someone else and feel good that I, pass something on. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I think that was an interesting discovery within myself was that the only time that I spent truly with what I would consider with God is when I'd be asking for forgiveness for something and specifically it would be something sexual because it's something I was so mm. ashamed of is you know, fooling around with boyfriends <laughs> and whatever it was I was doing. And that went away. So I stopped having to ask for forgiveness. Therefore, I had no relationship with God mm. um, because there was, I didn't have, to, I wasn't apologizing for anything. I was married, you know, quote, I, you know, again, this is what I had thought. This was like previous right. mentalities. And I was like, well, I guess I'm good now because I didn't swear. I didn't drink. 
I didn't, you know, I was, this is the beginning of my deconstruction again, you know, back in that time. And that's when I just realized, I was like, well, then what is my, what is my religion? Like, what is my faith? Meanwhile, all the other things were happening in my life. Um, If I, if I'm not asking God for forgiveness, I don't have anything to say to him or her, you know, and so that was like a big question. And then also my falling in love with Adam, I, that was the first time that I fully understood the concept that love is love because Mm -hmm. I remember falling so hard and loving him so much that I told him and I would tell people and I, I told people for some reason that this was so important for me to say to people, <laughs> but I was like, if, if Adam woke up and he was like, and again, this, this was my previous mentality, you know, right. I, but anyway, I was like, if I told him, I was like, Adam, if you, if you realize that you are a woman and you need to transition, like I, I, this, I love you. I love your soul. Mm. I, this, I, and again, this, I was still, I was still very much like in my like early stages of deconstruction. So I, that didn't make sense in my brain, but I was like, this is, this is love. Like, this is what love is. This is, this is what, this is what they mean. This is what this phrase means that love is love. And then of course that led me into being like, okay, so and then we would imagine having kids and I was like yeah if my kids came out gay I'd be the first person to like raise that pride flag high and you know in my previous religious upbringing and the way I was raised that was not okay Mm -hmm. and at the time I still hadn't I hadn't um, reconciled any of that and I said if I can do that for my pretend kids that don't exist right now I'm going to do, I need to do that for other people's kids. And I Mm. think that's whenever I started just like, I was like, there's gotta be, there's, this can't just be in my feelings. Like I, I need, I need backup here. You know, I'm an Enneagram five and I wanted to research so bad. Something I had done previously, but didn't have the tools when I was a teenager to look up like, what, what does this mean? And anyway, that led me down the, the trails of researching like homosexuality in the Bible and how it wasn't there before like the 60s or 70s I think it is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and anyway it led me down that whole path and of course there's so much that unraveled from from that um and and what the bible means and what it what it used to say translations and context and anyway it, it it unraveled all my questions all my questions came flooding out from that season um and yeah love really led the way falling in love with Adam and then realizing that I'd love him. Like I, it did not matter to me. It does not matter to me what his body is. Like I just, or what he, who he was. I just, it didn't matter. I just loved him and I do love him. And anyway, so that, that was truly the, the, the path that I just kept following um, even during the dark times. So that was the path that I kept following. It's the light that led me through. I, j- I couldn't have made it out otherwise. Mm-hmm. 
That's beautiful. Now, where we are now, um, on it sounds like you're for the most part you're on the other side of this. Um, are what are your reflections now, and um, what do you feel like you have gained as a person? Uh, basically, like reflect back for me, and and are you happy? You know what is was this right? Um, is life better because of what you've lost and what you've gained? Oh my god! Oh, so yes. Like, I mean, I'm a I. I'm so happy. I mean, I'm not happy all the time. I mean, I have emotions. I'm a human being, but I'm, I am happy. Since that moment, I asked that question or I I said, if, if, if being this happy, being wrong, I, I, that has not stopped. Um, I, I am happy. Um, and I'm so glad that I went through what I went through. Um, I, the first, the first thing that came to my mind, my mind when you said like, "What have you gained?" or "What have you?" something like that. You, just the first thing that popped in my head was like, "Like I got, I got autonomy back." Um, something I lost at like seven or eight years old. Um, I, I get to make my life choices. Um, I'm not crippled with the anxiety of what a God might think or which decision is hardest, (laughs) which one I should, what decision is hardest and that being the reason why I choose something. I, I make my own choices with peace and I try to make choices out of love and truth and sincerity um but I also live a life now of wonder like like I I've always been a curious person I mentioned it when I was about seven and asking questions and I really wish somebody would have just told me hey we we don't know instead of giving me you know half-ass answers to Uh and just to you know settle settle me down or shut me up or whatever. I, I love not knowing things. I love it. I, I, I wouldn't, I just, I couldn't live without curiosity. I, if I, if we knew everything, if we had answers to what happens after or is there really a God or is there, you know, whatever the questions that may come up, like if we had those answers, like I just, I just feel like life would be so pointless. Um, Mm. For me personally, I, I just love the questions. Um, It gives my life purpose and something that used to be, it used to be (laughs) um, the thorn in my side, if you will. Uh, I used to think that, all of my curious curiosity or all my unanswered questions were the were were bad were the bad parts of me were the untrusting un 
non like believing and and not having faith side of me, the bad side of me. And I realized that's just that's that's the that's a beautiful side of me. That is what makes me me. And I I got that back by deconstructing my faith. I own my life and my life's choices and my life's questions um, now. And I just, I couldn't ask for anything more. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, That was so beautifully said. And I, I appreciate that you were willing to share that with me, share your story with me. Um, yeah, thank you for, thank you for doing this. Thank you for talking with me. Oh my gosh, this has been so amazing. I've loved talking with you and you're such a beautiful soul. And I've loved watching your journey too, uh, which has just been so incredible and beautiful as well. Um, and it just, it's just exciting to be like on the same, on the same sort of path and on the same sort of like trajectory in life um, as you, you're, you're a beautiful soul. Thank you. I, it, it is cool that we're going the same direction. I feel like we're trying to accomplish a lot of the same things. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big supporter. <laughs> <Likewise>. <laughs> thanks. Thanks.